Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 1 through verse 8 today. And the title of the message today is this, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. This is a very familiar passage, I'm certain, for you. But uh, I believe the Lord wants to speak to our heart today as we look at this and read about Isaiah. As he has this amazing vision, this amazing encounter with the Lord, uh, this visitation, if you will. And uh, we can apply several different truths to our life this morning. So Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. You see now where I got my title. It took me a long time to try to figure out what I needed to title it, and there it was right there. Amen. It says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. Father God, we ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord. We've enjoyed worship this morning. We've enjoyed magnifying your name, exalting you through music. But God, now we need to hear a fresh word from you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, Father, that you would just take and anoint me this morning, Lord, that every word that comes out of my mouth would be your word because we know, God, that anything that comes from me this morning has zero value. We need to hear from you. And so, Father, we're asking you to speak to us. Lord God, if there be anything in my life, Lord, that's unrepented of, I pray, God, that you would bring it out now that I might be able to repent, be a clean vessel that you can use. And Lord, once again, we don't ask, we don't hope, but we demand any spirit other than the Holy Spirit of God be gone and the Holy Spirit of God reign in this place as he already has and fulfill your good work this morning, your desire, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning as we look at this passage and I know for certain it's most likely a very common passage. You've read this, you've, you've quoted Isaiah as he says, Here am I, send me, Lord, and you've prayed that prayer. But I really want us to think about this vision or this moment where he says, I saw the Lord. What does he say, man? He, he says, I saw the Lord. And I think back to our lives, you know, and those moments when we really get into a place where we really block out the world around us, we block out our own flesh and carnal nature, and we really see the Lord, or we have a fresh visitation from the Lord, or we have a spirit of revival rise up in us, there's something that happens pretty much every time that happens. Amen? And I believe that we see this in this passage this morning. I want to kind of address those. So number one, when we truly see the Lord, we have a fresh visitation from the Lord, or awakening, if you will, what happens? Number one, it motivates us to repentance, doesn't it? 
It motivates us to repentance. Now, I know repentance today is not very popular. In fact, if you turn the television on, you'll find very few folks that call themselves preachers that even mention repentance. But this morning, I don't apologize, amen? The Bible clearly states that you and I need to walk in repentance, and we need to understand that today. But notice verse 5 as we look in the Scripture. It says, Then I said, this is after he sees the Lord, and he sees all this that takes place from the seraphim flying around, the temple just shaking and, and all these things that happen, the smoke filling. He sees the train of the Lord's robe and everything else. And the first thing he says is this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, he's recognizing his need of repentance. He's recognizing his fleshly nature, if you will. He says, I live among a people of unclean lips. And just for a side sermonette this morning, I want you to see who he addresses first. He addressed himself first, amen, a man of unclean lips. Then he recognized that he lived among a people of unclean lips. There's a biblical truth there that we need to make sure that we take the plank out of our eye before we ever try to remove that speck out of a brother's eye, amen. He says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, and this is how I know he has moved to repentance, because the Bible tells us that the angel tells him, This has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So we know that he was moved to repentance. He was moved to a place where he had recognized, Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. Listen, I don't know if I told you this last week, but I got saved in September of 1997, September 14th to be, to be exact, right down the road in Providence, Louisiana. I'm sorry, Providence. At Providence Baptist Church in Point, Louisiana. Point, if you're not familiar with Point, I'm sure you are, but it's gigantic, big city, booming city. But anyway, that's where I got saved. And man, when I got saved that night, I was a wicked, wicked, wicked individual before I met Jesus, before the blood of Christ cleansed me. And man, I'm telling you, I knew I was wicked. But guess what? 24 years later, every day that I live, as I continue to allow the Lord to really be seen in my life, or for me to really be able to see the Lord and, and have fresh awakenings with the Lord, and these moments of just realizing truly who He is, man, I realize how just wicked I still am. Amen? The more I get in His presence, the more I see the Lord, the more I realize I am a ruined, wicked, unclean man. Amen? I love what... Uh, Job says, listen to this in Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, verse 5 and verse 6. Listen to what the scripture says here. Job says this, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And notice what he says. Now my eyes see you. I, not just hearing now, but now my eyes see you. And verse, eight, or verse 6 tells us this, Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I'm telling you, there's a lot of folks out there that will say, I know the Lord, I'll walk with the Lord, I've seen the Lord. And, and people are even making lots of money saying they've really seen the Lord. Some that have say they've died, they've come back and everything else. But you don't see a whole lot of repentance in their life. You don't see a whole lot of evidence where the Lord is changing them day by day by day. But I'm telling you this today, when we really see the Lord, when we see God, when we have a fresh visitation from the Lord and, and we are truly awakened to how holy He is and how awesome He is, we are moved to biblical repentance, aren't we? We can't stay the same. We can't continue living how we live. We can't continue in our lazy, often apathetic lifestyles. We are moved to biblical repentance and we see that in Isaiah today in this passage, don't we? But second of all, not only does it motivate us to repentance, but it motivates us to reverence, doesn't it? 
It motivates us to reverence. Listen to what's taking place here. I want to back up to verse 2. It says that their seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. And of course, when you see six wings, you're like, what on earth is this creature? Why on earth is this type angel? Why do they have six wings? Well, guess what? The Bible tells us why they have six wings. With two, he covered his face. This is speaking to us of how reverence is to play out in our lives before the Lord. It says, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. Reminds us of the scripture where Moses, remember when he has a visitation with the Lord, he sees the Lord in the form of a burning bush. He hears an audible voice from the Lord and what is taught, takes place. He removes the very sandals on his feet because the Bible tells us he recognizes and he's told that the ground that he's standing on is holy, which speaks of a great reverence that we should have for the Lord. And it says, with two they flew around and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you hear the reverence that is coming from their voice? It says, The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Can you get a picture of how amazing this moment was? And then, of course, this passage I just read, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, and I am a man of unclean lips. Listen. We need to be moved back to a place of reverence before the Lord, don't we? We need to be moved to a place of reverence. We live in a generation today where we don't reverence the Lord like we used to. Now I want to throw a disclaimer out there for you this morning. I am so thankful that I have instructions in God's Word that I can boldly come to the throne room of grace. Amen? I'm so thankful for that. I praise God for that. I'm thankful I can come into His presence. I'm thankful that He loves me enough that He's provided a way through the blood atoning work of Jesus Christ that I can come into His presence. I'm thankful for that. But I had better still recognize that He deserves and demands reverence when it comes for, to His children. Amen? Now back years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was this thing going around. I was in Texas at the moment, and there was this thing going around, and people were making shirts and bumper stickers and everything else, and it would say this. Maybe you remember it, or maybe you didn't know. I'm about to break your heart what they would say. And it would say this, Jesus is my homeboy. Now listen, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But at the end of the day, he's King Jesus. Amen? He is Lord. He's not my homeboy. I don't see a whole lot of reverence in this thought that he's my homeboy and, and we're hanging out. And, and man, you know the things that are going on out there today where people are just so irreverent when it comes to the Lord and irreverent even when it comes to the house of the Lord. Now, I just want to kind of stop for a second there and give you another little sermonette. Now, I, I'm telling you, for a long time, we, the body of Christ, pretty much every denomination that I've ever been a part of and had the uh, blessing of being a part and influence, we got it wrong a long time ago. We put too much reverence on the building and forgot to put reverence on the body, amen, where the temple really lives, amen. But we need to take care of God's house. We need to recognize when we come together and worship, this is a place of worship and reverence, amen. We need people to see that in our lives, that we reverence Him. He's not just the man upstairs. He's King Jesus, amen. He's not just the big guy. He's Jesus. He's the King. He's Lord, amen. And so we should reverence Him. And we see that example in this Scripture. We see it even in the angels as they cover their face, they cover their feet because He's to be reverenced. Because as they said, and we understand, and it's biblically true, that He is holy, 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 amen. And when we're drawn in His presence, man, it reminds us of that biblical truth, doesn't it? I love the song that Mercy Me has uh, been famous for for the last, man, probably 20 years now. 
I can only imagine. Every last one of us have heard it, we've sung it time and time again. Probably walked through many of funerals where that song has been played or sang. But one part of that song I love, and I'm trying to get it right. I already admitted to you, I struggle with music. I love it. I love music. I love worshiping our King. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But, but I'm trying to remember, it says this. It says, when I come into His presence, will I sing His glory? Or Then it says, if will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Y'all know what part I'm talking about? And then there's another, I don't know if it's that song or another one, where it says, will, they be, will we be able to even stand? And I'm telling you, when we are truly in the Lord's presence, we see Him. It moves you to a place of reverence where we want to just fall face first. I remember, you remember this, don't you? Even those wicked, being used by the devil himself, soldiers that were looking and pursuing Jesus before the crucifixion, I think it's in John's account of this, remember this, where they come and he asked them, he says, who are you looking for? And they see Jesus of Nazareth, you remember what happens? Go read it. They fall face first. And it wasn't out of a biblical reverence they had, it was just out of reverence that God showed them that they needed to have for him, amen? And that more than once that happened, they fell face first. And so I'm just telling you today, we need to make certain that we are humble before the Lord, allowing Him to see the reverence that we have for Him and who He is. He's not just the man upstairs, amen? He's King Jesus. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. So it motivates us to repentance, motivates us to reverence, and then third of all, what I just mentioned, it motivates us to worship, doesn't it? We see verse 3, I just quoted this, he says, One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What are those angels, those seraphim, as they flying around and they are proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What are they doing? They are worshiping Him, amen? They are worshiping Him, they're exalting Him, they're magnifying Him, they're lifting Him up. And I'm telling you today, when you really see the Lord, it moves you to a place of worship. Now I was sitting on the front pew, but I think I heard a pretty good majority as we got into the mode of worship this morning of folks singing. But if you're one of those guys that are here today like I used to be, especially before I got saved, man, I did not want to sing. I hated singing. I'll never forget, man, I was at Woodlong Elementary, Highway 34, out, out going towards... Um, Winfield or whatever, I guess that's towards Winfield, but Woodlong area, man, I'll never forget Miss Sarah Kelly. Some of you might know her. She would come to our school every Christmas and she would have a song that she would want our classes to do together. And I didn't realize it, but they all had a biblical meaning. And I'll never forget the year that I remember the most. We were singing this song and it was called Santa's Not the Only One Coming for Jesus is Coming Too. And I'll never forget, man, my mama's like, she, my mama, I was in first grade at this moment, and she's like, you're going to sing, you're not going to embarrass me, you're going to get up there and sing, you're not going to be playing around, you're going to sing. And I'll never forget this too, and I, teenagers or young kids don't listen to this part, you don't need to hear it. Well, I had a friend, supposedly a friend, who gave me some of the best instructions I ever got as a first grader. He said, Greg, if you just say watermelon, 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 it looks like you're singing the words. And I did that entire time through that Christmas program. Watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. And Mama thought I was singing. But guess what? September 14th of 1997, when I was born again, man, I grew to love singing. Amen? I love singing about the fact that Santa's not the only one coming, but Jesus is coming one day. I love singing praises to my King. Man, as I mentioned a while ago, I can't read music, 
Man, I get off key a while ago. I jumped one. I don't know if you caught that, Brother Eddie, but I jumped from, from not shore to shore, but to forevermore right then and there. And I realized, like, oh, man, I'm off. But, man, I don't care. I love singing. Amen. I love worshiping Him. He is so worthy. I spent 21 years of my life exalting Greg, exalting this world, singing the world's songs, and living for the world, and doing all the stuff the world had for me. But when I truly saw the Lord on September 14th of 97, and I've been blessed to see Him at times, even in my life now, as my life goes on and my testimony grows, I love worshiping the King. Amen? I love singing praises to Him. I love singing about what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. I love exalting Him and just making the devil feel like an idiot. Amen? I love it. So it motivates us to worship. Holy, holy, holy is He, they said. They scream out. They shout out. And then fourth of all this morning... I mentioned this last Sunday, but I want to mention it again because I see it here is this truth that it motivates us to have grateful hearts too, doesn't it? Verse 5, the Scripture says that He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Once again, just as I mentioned last week about the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20, where he Kits to this place. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Remember, in the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself up for me. I see that same truth right here where, where Isaiah is shouting out, Woe is me, for I am ruined. And then he says this, For my eyes, me, Isaiah, this wicked man, this wicked individual, I've seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. He let me see Him. I believe he's shouting with a grateful heart there. Amen? He's moved with a heart of gratefulness. Listen, in Psalms chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 4, we see this as a psalmist kind of mentions a little bit of this in my opinion. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's having a little worship service really, isn't he? Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Now notice what he says here. Verse 3 and 4 is really what I want you to focus on. He says, When I consider the heavens or your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have obtained. In other words, he's just amazed by God's creation. What God spoke into existence. It's not, when I consider that, the psalmist says, I look at all that. Verse 4 he says this, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Man, have you ever really just come to the place where you realize how awesome God is? Where you see God in all of creation as Romans 1 tells us? Man, you see God, you recognize how holy He is a while ago, how, how we should reverence Him, how we should walk in repentance, and then you stop and think, who am I? I love Casting Crowns also. I mentioned Mercy Me. Casting Crowns, Mark Hall's written some of the most unbelievable most biblical, awesome songs I've ever sang in my life. And he wrote one entitled, Who Am I That the Lord of All the Earth Would Care to Know My Name? Man, are we, are we moved to truly being grateful that God, I didn't deserve it, I still don't deserve it, I'll never deserve it, but He still calls me by my name. He still loves me. And as Galatians 2.20 says, I read last week and preached on, He gave Himself for me. Amen? Woe is me. I'm wicked. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we need to be grateful. Amen. 
And then fifth of all this morning, I only got two more points this morning. It motivates us to repentance, to reverence, to worship, to a place of worship in Him, to have grateful hearts, but also motivates us to do God's kingdom work, doesn't it? It motivates us to do God's kingdom work. After this entire experience, we see all that takes place. Isaiah sees the seraphim. He sees the Lord. He sees the train of His robe. He sees all that takes place. He recognizes his repentance and his need of reverence in the Lord and he's moved to worship and everything else. Then comes about where God kind of clears everything out and he begins to address the situation. And it says in verse 8 that Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. I want to tell you another thing today. When you and I really see the Lord, whether it's through salvation or along our path as a believer in the Lord where we're awakened, where we're revived, when we see Him fresh and anew, we have a fresh visitation for the Lord, it moves us to a place of desire to do God's kingdom work. It moves us to a place to where we too say this from our hearts and we mean it. Here am I, send me. And listen, when we hear those words, I'm not saying, I know you guys here as a body of believers, and I love it about y'all that I've already seen. I've read them this morning, several different missionary families that y'all are praying for and supporting. Man, praise God for that. But listen, when you say the words, here am I, send me, you don't have to say that in fear that God may send you off somewhere. He may do that. He can do that. He's the Lord. Amen. But He's already got you placed in a community, in a place of family membership, in a, in a place of job possibly, and influence where you need to say, here am I, send me to my co-workers, to my family members, to my community neighbors and everything else. You need to be able to say that. And when we see the Lord afresh and anew, whether it's salvation or truly just being revived, we need to be moved to this place. God, I want to do your kingdom work. Man, I'm 45 years old right now. And every day that goes by, I continue to grow more and more aware that I need to make the most of every moment I've got. It needs to count, it needs to count for the kingdom work. Amen? There's a lot of things I do that don't matter the other side of eternity. And I'm not saying those are wrong or what have you. We can, we can enjoy hobbies and things with our family and stuff like that that still bring glory to God. But we had better make certain that we are fixed on the fact that the kingdom work God's called us to needs to be happening right now. Fast forward, and I'm talking about fat, we need to kick it out of neutral and back in the drive. Amen? We need to be shouting from the rooftop, Lord, here I am, send me. I never forget when I first got saved. I mentioned earlier, September 14th of 1997. Man, I remember it just like yesterday. One of the things that was in me, I, I just wanted I wanted to be preaching. I wanted the night I got saved, just to let you know, that night God told me I'd be a preacher. I shared it with my mom and my girlfriend, who's my wife right now, who was my girlfriend at the time. She, they looked at me like, "Are you kidding me?" My mom even told me, "I think you need to go to sleep." But I'm telling you, God began to burn in me this desire for His kingdom work. And I'll never forget one of the first things I ever got to do in the body of Christ. I was wanting to teach, but my preacher was smart. And he's like, no, you, you, just, you need to get rooted in the Word first. You need to get taught. And praise God, he did. But I'll never forget the first place I got to serve in. That was in the baptistry. I was at New Chapel Hill in West Monroe. It was the church that we were a member of when we first got saved. And he's like, here's what I want you to do. When I have baptism service, I want you to go back there with me. You're going to pray with the young men and young women, those that are being baptized. 
and then I'm going to put a mop in your hand. And when they get out of the baptistry and walk to the rooms to change, I want you to mop up that water. And you know what? I was excited. I was so happy to be a part of something in the church, the kingdom work, man. And I mopped up. Don't tell my wife a reminder of this. She may have a mop in my hand before the day's over. Amen? But I remember that because it was God's kingdom work taking place. I got to hold the hands of people who had just gotten saved and join my pastor in prayer and prayer for them before they went into those baptismal waters, following the Lord in obedience as we see Jesus doing. Man, I was so moved by that. And man, I'd mop that, that water with a smile on my face. And I just tell you, I, I hate mopping, I hate sweeping, I hate folding clothes, I hate all those things. But I loved every minute I got to mop up that water. Why? Because it was the kingdom work. It was something for it was for something not temporal but for something eternal. Amen. So powerful. And man, from there I remember stepping in place. I was an encourager in a Sunday school class. Next thing you know, I was teaching Awanas and I'd have little boys and girls come up to me memorizing scripture and quoting it back to me and stuff like that. And I tell you, I just wanted to do anything I could for the kingdom. But you know what's so sad? Is often we grow out of that, don't we? We get to a place where we're a little comfortable, maybe turn a little more inward, what we want to do, maybe not have time for it, all that's exhausting, I've done my part, whatever the excuse is. But we need a fresh vision of the Lord, a fresh visitation of the Lord to move us again to be shouting these words as we see from Isaiah. Here am I, send me, Lord. Not conditional, not a list of do's and don'ts, what I will do and what I won't do, God. Don't ever tell God that, amen. It's not going to work very good. Say this, here am I, send me. Inconvenience me, bring me to a place of sacrifice. God, whatever, just, here I am, send me, Lord. Where do you want me to go? And do God's kingdom work, amen. And then last of all this morning, when we really see the Lord, it also changes us from the inside out, doesn't it? When we see this take place and these angels take this coal off the altar with tongues as the Bible describes, and they come and touch Isaiah's lip and then proclaim that his iniquity is taken away in verse 7 and say, tells him that your sin is forgiven. I want to tell you today, I'm telling you this as a fact. That had already taken place. They're just announcing what had already taken place. God had already touched his heart before the coal ever touched his lips. When you and I really see the Lord, we're changed from the inside out. All too often, I watch this in church after church after church, and life after life after life, people want to change the outside. People want to say, well, you know, if I could just get this out of my life, or if I could quit doing this and maybe start doing that, I'm telling you today that the most important thing that can happen in your life is that you let God touch you on the inside. Let God touch your heart. Let God redeem your heart. Let God revive your heart for that believer here today, this walk in apathy or whatever it might be. Let God touch you on the inside. And when that happens, the outside changes. Amen? I used this passage last week. Behold, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, new things shall come. We need to be touched on the inside. And then He changes the outside. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And the first question I have for you today is this. Have you truly ever seen the Lord? 
Have you ever had this moment that we see in Isaiah's life where he has this moment where it's, man, him and the Lord. The angel's there, no doubt, the seraphim, and we know the situation, but man, have you ever come to the place where you have been alone with God, you've been face-to-face with God, if you will, and you recognize your need of repentance and reverence in Him as Lord, not just Savior, amen, but as Lord, and you've been moved to a place of worship where you recognize that nothing else or no one else matters but Him. No one else or nothing else is above Him, amen? And you've been moved to that place. Have you ever truly seen the Lord? Have you been born again? Are you God's child today? I mentioned baptism a while ago. I mentioned the importance of this local church and the beauty of that and what takes place here. But more important than all that, have you ever been born again? What Jesus told Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus, Jesus told him, you must be born again. He also told, I don't remember who it was, but remember he told them, he says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Baptism is important. Church membership is extremely important. But... Being born again is the most important. Amen? Have you been born again? And then the second question to that is that today, I know that I know that as I mentioned to you a while ago on September 14th of 1997, I died to myself and I was raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. I know I was born again, but I know this too. I need often in my life a fresh visitation, reviving seeing of the Lord. Amen? I can get so doggone comfortable, apathetic, lazy, depressed, discouraged. Satan used everything and anything he can and often not let him. So I ask you, is it time for you to just open your eyes, God, let me see you, so that I can once again proclaim, here am I, send me.